Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. handheld today so in case I have a coughing fit y'all don't have to listen to it uh, I've been battling all this junk I've been eating cough drops like they're candy uh, so y'all just bear with me today and uh, I know I'm not as animated as dad but if I seem to be moving even slower than usual uh, for some reason we thought it would be a good idea to host a three-on-three basketball tournament with our students yesterday so after about five hours of basketball I can hardly move <laughs> I'll be 30 this year, and I feel every bit of 30 today. Uh, so I, I am excited about this morning, though. Uh, before I get into what I'm going to deal with, I, I understand it is already late, and I am not going to keep you long, I promise. Uh, but I wanted to just share something with you guys that just came out last night in a small house church gathering we were in. Uh, has nothing to do with what I'm going to preach today, really, but I just can't get past it. It come up again this morning when our worship team was just here this morning preparing, praying together. And, and I want to share it with some of you because it's such an awesome uh, revelation or understanding. Uh, last night we were in prayer and, and Holy Spirit revealed actually to me and mom both uh, the same scripture, do not grow weary in well-doing. And uh, he began to show me that we only use and quote that scripture when people are already weary in well-doing, right? When in reality, the scripture says, don't grow weary in your well-doing. So we really use it way too late anyway. But he began to show me that because of this, people have built their theology around this concept, and you always connect well-doing with being weary. And you've bought into the idea that as long as you're doing well, you're going to have to deal with being weary. Because as Christians, you know, we're just hanging on till the end and one day and sweet by and by, he'll take me out of this terrible life. And <laughs> but he began to show us last night that that wasn't Jesus' design at all. Jesus told the disciples, I would that your joy may be full. In other words, my desire for you and what I want for you is that your joy may be full. And he told this to the disciples before they were fixing to experience some of the greatest tribulations they were going to go through. And he said, I would that your joy may be full. As a matter of fact, I didn't use it last night, but he goes on to say that you would have my joy, uh, which takes it to a whole new level. But I wanted to share this with you guys this morning because I really feel like Abba is trying to change our perspective on this life, that this was intended to be done with so much joy. We're intended to live this life in, in just the abundance of the joy of God. And then mom reminded us of a scripture last night that said the kingdom of heaven is not eating and drinking, but it is righteousness, peace, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Along with that, there was a scripture brought out that says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. That means joy that you can't explain gives God glory. So you being weary and holding on till the end is not really bringing him much glory. But when you live in a joy that they can't explain, all of a sudden they have to start saying, you know what, they must be connected to something a little higher than I am because they're experiencing joy when the doctor said they had cancer. They're experiencing joy when they got to go have their chest cut open. They're experiencing joy. This is the life we're designed for. And we declared last night that this year, in 2018, Life Church will begin to experience well-doing from a place of joy. That we are going to do it so full of joy. Jesus said, for the joy that is set before me, he endured everything that we can't imagine. 
had to share that with you guys because it was just so good last night. This is my topic I want to deal with today. Sacred or secular? And I, I talked to Colby and Scott about this, and, and I wanted to do a video to set this up, but we've both had a, we've all three had a week that was just like, where would we have put it? Uh, but the way I've seen this, when I begin to dive into this, I begin to see that this question has created a religious game show. And in my mind, I could see two people standing on either side of a buzzer. And for me, because he's the greatest game show host in the world, I could see Steve Harvey standing with one of those little cards behind it. And while they're both standing on each side, you can hear Steve Harvey ask, say, we asked 100 Christians, is this sacred or secular? And when he says work, for instance, one of them slaps the buzzer. Their answer, secular. And so we see this picture of a religious game show that has been created where I start categorizing my, categorizing my life based on these two terms. And based on the word, place, situation, person that is thrown out before me, when I slap the buzzer, I pick one of these two things. Sacred or secular. How awesome is it to see all these kids over here taking notes? Look at that. They are legit taking notes right now. That's awesome. Some people should learn and watch. I'm just saying. Here's the deal. Whichever category you choose will govern how you approach it. Whichever one of these you picked will be the deciding factor on how you handle that situation. It'll determine how you treat it how you react to it, how you respond in it. It'll determine how much value you put on it. Because your perspective, even if it's not the truth, if it's your perspective, it's your reality. And based on your reality, you'll decide how you're going to handle every situation. If you have your Bibles, go to Genesis 28. We're going to start in verse 16. We're going to use some scriptures that Dad has used recently to kind of set this up. Genesis 28, starting in 16. I still hear a lot of people turning. Do like them preachers you say when I was growing up. If you're there, say amen. And if you're not there, just fake it. Nobody will know. Just get close to the front somewhere. It doesn't matter. Genesis 28, 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. I love that. This is New King James Version. He said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar, an altar, and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of the city had been Luz previously. I wanted to use these scriptures because it's the perfect example that Jacob's perception of the place governed the way he handled that place. His first perception 
was that this was just an average place. It was any place. It was just a secular place is what we're going to use. And because he only seen it as a secular place, that he was able to lay down and sleep in that place. But once he realized that this was a place Abel was desiring to gain access through, he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. But here's what's incredible. Not only did he change what he thought about the place, but he went from sleeping to worshiping. I believe this, pa- this passage shows us the power of this question. Do you determine it to be secular or sacred? Because it, what you choose will ultimately govern how you see and respond to places and situations. If you categorize your work as a secular activity, then God has no access to it. Remember he said, this is an awesome place, none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. What is a gate? A gate is a place you gain access. So when you determine a place to be secular, you remove the gate of access God had to that place. And you've determined that it's not sacred enough for God to intervene in. (coughs) We're going to build this on Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 through 20, if you're taking notes. Colossians, guys, C-O-L dot, that's all you got to put. Chapter 1, verse 15, talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him the fullness should dwell, and by him reconcile all things to himself, by God, by him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross." You notice how many times he says all things, everything, high, low, anything created or not. All these things, everything is connected to Jesus Christ. I want to read verses 15, 16, and 17 out of the Passion. He is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God. He is the firstborn heir of all creation. For through the Son, everything was created both in the heavenly realm and on the earth, all that is seen and all that is unseen, every seat of power, realm of government, principality, and authority. Catch this. It was all created through him and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made, and now everything finds completion in him. (coughs) Key phrases, two key phrases we're going to use. It was all created through him, And for his purpose. All of it. Everything. And now, everything finds its completion in him. This this whole train of thought really began from uh, one of our meetings. I say meetings. One of our, uh, some of us guys meet here in the mornings when we can and and pray before work and different stuff. And, And one of our talks, the term separation of church and state came up. We were throwing this around and just talking about it. And this whole idea really came from that 
that statement, that terminology, which actually took me into a study on separation of church and state and how did it come about? What is it? Why is it this way? But in doing so, I started reading a book on kingdom core values. And this is one of the statements he makes in there that just really begin to open this up for me. It's by a guy named Dan Fairley. He said, every part of a Christian's life is sacred and meant to be holy. We don't live with the false mindset that life is divided into the sacred or the secular. Rather, God values and is involved in every area of our lives. The Holy Spirit lives in us, so everything we do and everywhere we go is sacred. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 says, Have you forgotten that your body is the sacred temple? In the Passion Translation. Have you forgotten that your body is the sacred, sacred temple? He goes on to say that it was bought with a price. And that, that the sacrifices are made in your temple. So based on this understanding, I begin to look at us and how we live our lives and, and, and the directions that we're going, the decisions that we're making. And he began to take me through and show me how, how we respond to, react to, or are involved in every situation we find ourselves, whether it's work or at the grocery store or at home or whatever it may be. That's going to fall under one of these two categories. You're going to have to place it in one of these or the other. Whether you realize it or not, whether you want to or not. You're going to place it in one of these. And based on which one you place it in will determine the level of separation that you experience in that place. So I begin to look at the separation of church and state, which is not, did not originate at all what we think it is today. It's actually paraphrased from Thomas Jefferson and is used by others in expressing and understanding the intent and function of the free exercise clause of the First Amendment to the Constitution of Virginia. Which reads, I'm just giving you some history here. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So, so this is what this means. Originally, this started as a guarantee that the government would not infringe upon our religious freedom to worship. However, or whenever we wanted to. But somewhere along the way, the wall of separation that Thomas Jefferson mentioned in his letter to Danbury Baptist Association in Connecticut became something completely different in the church. This clause was intended to restrict the government, but it became a restriction we put on ourselves. It became a wall that separated our church life from everyday life. It restricted our faith to only certain places or certain events. What we did is we took something that originally by Thomas Jefferson could have been the greatest, most freeing thing the church could experience. And we used that very statement and we divided our lives. We took the restrictions that he was placing on the government because of the things that, that the people experienced before coming to America. He placed all these restrictions on the government to stop them. And we turned those restrictions around as the church and restricted ourselves. Notice, it says... Uh, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof to worship however and whenever we wanted. However, whenever, and wherever we wanted. And yet today, the only worship we experience is on a Sunday morning in a church service. Who has restricted who? 
Have we restricted those infringing upon our freedoms? Or have we restricted ourselves by saying the only sacred place must be this place? So I only offer worship where I deem it sacred. And because this is the only place we've considered to be sacred, it's the only place we experience worship. Therefore, the only place we create a gate is in this room. So people don't experience healing, freedom. They don't get the fullness of a sozo because the only gate they experience is standing in this room. When in reality, according to the scriptures we have read, you're the gate. And in the community, you're God's access for freedom, deliverance, access, whatever it may be. We are that, we are that gate. But we have chosen to take what should have been so freeing and restrict our faith to a certain place and to certain events. I, I was reminded of when we did a, one of the times we did prayer at the courthouse. I don't remember if it was National Day of Prayer, but something we had worship, we had prayer. It was, it was incredible. And I remember how odd it seemed. Can I just, can I just be real? Standing on the courthouse lawn, worshiping, praying, pastors were unified, they were together, nobody cared what denomination you were from, nobody cared what color your skin was, there was no separation, there was no wall of division, and it was so abnormal, and it felt so weird to be in that place doing that thing. Why? Because we don't see it as sacred. We see it as secular. That's the courthouse. That's secular. It's where they deal with laws and they deal with criminals and they, they do all that kind of stuff. That's where they, it's just a secular place. Well, because it's a secular place, you won't allow your mind to create a sacred place that God could be in. So that like Jacob, we wake up and say, wow, this is none other. This place is none other than the house of God. We've restricted ourselves. We've restricted ourselves to only having the encounters we want here in this place. I thought Brother Larry was going to preach my message this morning. And I already knew I was going here uh, last Sunday when we went over there to visit him. And he was sharing some of the same stuff too. So I was just writing it in my phone. I'm just going to quote him Sunday. I'm just going to say whatever he says. Uh, but it was so on the idea that we've, we've, we've restricted ourselves by being sacred here and secular out there. We've, we've restricted ourselves. We've taken the most freeing, I'm going to use this term religion. We've taken the most freeing religion, Christianity, ever known to man and created the most boundaries man has ever known. Whom the sun sets free is free on Sunday. That just sounds weird, don't it? You are created in the image and the likeness of your father on Sunday when you're here. Just, just here, though. Not when you're at the grocery store, not when you're at work. You just be whoever you need to be there. But we're going to be sacred while we're here. Mm, this is too real. In studying this, he took me to three categories in prayer. Discipleship. These would be good to write down. Just letting y'all know. I'm going to help y'all with taking notes, all right? Discipleship, calling, and gathering. These are the three main areas I want to deal with, which, I mean, there's so many more. But 
there's just no way we're going to get into all that. We may not even get into all these. I believe our modern day version of discipleship is the proof of our approach to sacred and secular. Our discipleship looks like a, looks a lot like classroom settings, concepts, and historical studies, while it remains completely separate from our daily lives. Discipleship is purely leading by example. It's living a life that proves everything we are saying. It's not about writing. A, it's not about passing a written test. It's about living a changed life. True discipleship is messy and riddled with failure and repentance. Hmm. We was watching a show, I will say that again, that's a good idea. It's about living a changed life. Discipleship is messy and riddled with failure and repentance. Which really in the kingdom is not failure, it's growth and experience. If you ain't failing, you ain't trying. Come on now. Me and Courtney were uh, laying in the bed, I think it was last night, watching what's, I don't know, probably the greatest show ever. It's a show called Blue Bloods. And, uh... We're watching this show, and they're sitting around every time on the show. They sit around the dinner table, and they say a prayer, and they talk about their week, and they talk about their day. It's just an awesome family experience. Well, on this one, they were going around the table, and everybody had to share a moment where they failed that week. They were going around the table doing this. And, of course, one of the younger ones was like, really? Why can't we be a normal family and say, like, oh, how was school this week? Instead of having to go around and tell every failure or tell a failure from this week. And they begin to explain to this young guy, because... There's almost nothing to be learned in success. But there's everything to be learned in a failure. So if you can openly say, this is where I failed, and this is where I learned, then you get to grow. And they're teaching this concept in their family. And it begin, I begin to see how in discipleship, we've swept all the failures under the rug. Mm. And we can't show up in discipleship and be like, I blew it this week, Nathan. I just, it was terrible. I wanted to go this way, and I went this way, and that's the way it happened. But in the moment, we learn from it, and we understand why did I go that way, and why did I make that choice, and at what point did I stop listening to the Holy Spirit, and at what point did I choose disobedience over obedience, and it pushes, it pulls me into a place, and it begins to create an opportunity for me to learn. But our discipleship has become moments in classrooms and sitting behind textbooks because those are sacred. And I can only disciple you when I'm reading you the scripture. And you can ask anyone that's been around me, that I've taught, that I've been in discipleship with, I'm going to be overboard with scripture. I love scripture. I, I love to read it. I love to study it. But if we've got an understanding that the only time I'm discipling is when I'm giving you scripture, then we've determined that the life part is secular and the teaching part is sacred. When in reality, I don't remember Jesus ever turning it off. It wasn't just when he had them sitting in the temple. It was when they were sitting around the campfire. It's when they were walking through the field. It's when they were shopping for food. It was all these times, everywhere he went, he considered it sacred. So if it was sacred, it was an opportunity for God to access those disciples. It was sacred. True discipleship is at work, it's at the grocery store, it's around the dinner table, it's, it's over a cup of coffee. How many of you have ever made the statement, I learn better by example? 
unless you're one of those super smart kids and you want all the stuff just written out for you. But for the most part, we all learn by example. How many of you open up something new and you toss the instructions to the side and you just look at the box? I can get to that. I can figure that out. It can't be that hard. I mean, come on. And, and your two-hour project three days later is almost done while you're looking at the box. No, but I begin to think about this, how we learn by example. Or we'll open the instructions and only turn to the pages that have pictures. Like, oh, that makes so much more sense. As a matter of fact, the last time, Courtney, uh, I think it was for Christmas, we bought Kennedy a kitchen, like this full kitchen-looking thing. And there was nothing written in the instructions at all. It was only pictures. I was like, this was made for me. Like, they knew I wouldn't get the reading part. <coughs> but the reason it's like this is because it's the way we're created. We were designed to learn by following. It's how we grow and learn to do things as children. We watch our parents. We watch our siblings. And we quickly learn that that's what we're supposed to do. Could it be that in most cases, new converts aren't growing like they should because they don't have someone to watch? I've heard the statement made by my wife recently, and I've probably made it myself, I'm sure, that Kennedy is doing a whole lot of things earlier than Stephen did them. She talked earlier. She walked earlier. Just, just all these kind of things. And I begin to realize I know why this is happening. And some of you are probably already like, well, duh, you know why. i it, I got to process things, okay? Give me a minute. But I begin to realize she's doing it earlier because she has him to show her. Right? Stephen only had us as parents. So it was a little harder to relate, and, and there's just all that. But she's coming up, and she wants to be just like Bubba. And she wants to do everything Bubba does. So when she's coming up, she's seeing him do things, so she's doing those things. So in reality, if you will, she's becoming his little disciple. So now she does a lot of things, and we said, wow, that looks just like Stephen. You know, that's how the disciples got the name Christians. At beginning, it wasn't a compliment. <laughs> but they started looking so much like the one they were imitating that they began to take on his name. And people begin to say, they look a lot like that Christ. They look like a whole lot like the guy we crucified. Discipleship is in every aspect of our lives. It's showing. So what we need to do is start putting ourselves around people that are living the spiritual life we want to live. Start doing what they're doing. Let their life challenge you. Too often we get in situations and we get around people that are more spiritually elite than we are, and the challenge of it pushes us away. What would have happened if the disciples would have lived that way? Because they were nowhere even close to the spiritual elite that they were following. But instead of saying, well, I don't really agree with that and I don't really understand that and I'm not there yet, I'm going to back out. No, it challenged them to be pushed forward. It challenged them to rise to the occasion. So what you need to do is quit surrounding yourself with people that are spiritually below you and start surrounding yourself with some people that will spiritually challenge you. One of the things we like to do is we are constantly, 
constantly listening to through podcasts or YouTube or whatever it may be, guys that are, 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 are ahead of us spiritually. Maybe even guys that are in movements that are ahead of our church spiritually in their movement. And all the times that we're mowing, we're in our shops working, whether it's working on wood or restoring a motorcycle or whatever we find ourselves doing, it's constantly being poured into me. And I'm allowing it to challenge me and to move me forward. So my, my wood shop doesn't become the secular place where I build stuff. It becomes a sacred place where Abba has access to begin to change and transform my life. Can I tell you that since I have learned to see my wood shop as a sacred access for Abba to come and to speak to me, it has been some of the sweetest and most revelatory encounters that I've ever experienced personally because I've deemed that place a place of God. This is none other than the house of God where he is desiring to access where I'm at. It's sacred. It's his. Paul told the Corinthians twice, imitate me. And the Hebrew writer says, imitate those, uh, the writer of Hebrews, I'm sorry, says imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promise. We're so scared of this today in church. How crazy would you have felt if I would have opened the service by saying, you know what you need to do this week? Act just like me. Most of y'all have been like, I'm done. And you'd have left. Why? Because we don't understand discipleship. We don't know what it's really like. You know what Jesus was constantly telling the disciples? Handle this person like I handled them. Speak to this person like I spoke to them. Begin to find someone that's, that's living in the arena you really want to live in and start doing what they're doing. Paul, uh, the, Hebrew, the writer in Hebrews said, imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promise. What does that tell me? If I do what they're doing, I get the promises that they got. Mm. But we separate these because I need a church class setting. If we put everything outside of our church class setting in a secular box, then we'll miss the greatest opportunities for discipleship that we could ever encounter. Some of the greatest moments of discipleship we see between Jesus and the apostles was sitting around a fire, walking through a field, or eating a meal together. Not a scheduled time that they had set aside in the synagogue. Why? Because everywhere he went, he deemed it as sacred. He deemed it as a place that God could have access into the people he had been entrusted with. This one, this one... This one's huge to me. Some of us have drawn that line between sacred and secular. And our family, our time at home has fallen on the secular side. And, and because of it, young people are coming up confused. Because this here becomes so sacred and my home becomes so secular. And they're coming up confused. And I begin to realize that, that if the time spent with my family was seen as sacred, then I would learn to cherish it. I would respond and react differently. And most importantly, I would understand the magnitude of raising disciples, not training them. How sad would it be for me as a pastor to train a bunch of disciples but never actually raise one?
Abba is a generational God. His desire is to perpetuate the family. We're to be raising the disciples. Our home is a sacred place. Home is a sacred place. It's the place that God is desiring to access. We got to move on. I'm, I'm running out of time here. Calling. You're calling. We have made our calling something that happens in the church gathering. Something that we get paid for or something we get a chance to go and do. Your calling is the normal Christian life. It's the life that Jesus modeled. Colby made this quote during our Life Academy this second semester, and I have so hung on to this. It has been incredible. So get this. During the Life Academy, he said, Your calling is just the place Abba will lead you while you're living in obedience. Oh my gosh, that's so much better than you responded. Your calling is just the place Abba will lead you while you're living in obedience. Wow, even the second time, still nothing. No, don't now, it's too late. I'll, it's all right. David said, I strengthened myself. That's a good job, Josh. You're doing good. Don't worry about them. By separating our calling, the sacred, from our everyday life, the secular, we have bought into the normality of living two different lives. When in reality, there's only one life to be lived, and that is the life of Jesus, an obedient servant who came as our example. <laughs> I have to say this, and, and my goal is not to offend anyone in this, all right? If, if you have one of these, I'm not taking shots at you, okay? But when I was doing this, I couldn't help but think of people who have a prayer voice. Y'all ever met those kind of people? Who when they go into prayer, it's like all of a sudden you're like, oh, who are you? Like, you were not talking like that two seconds ago. And like they get this whole, our father. And they go into this whole different, and you're just standing there like, he's not going to know who's talking to him. You're being someone totally different. <laughs> but isn't it really a picture of the two different because I deem this conversation secular, I talk to you as me. And I don't need to be anyone else. But this conversation is so sacred, I feel like I have to step into a whole new tone. And I have to create this whole atmosphere. And I have to, when in reality, if I seen my whole life as sacred, I wouldn't have to change myself to approach the Father. <laughs> That's so real. You know, it's kind of like, uh, sorry, I'm just, I'm lost on this now. You ever been around somebody who's talking to you and you're just in conversation, you're going away, and then the phone rings and they answer it totally different? You know what I mean? No, the best, the best is when Courtney's just had it with the kids. And she's just, she's getting them. Like, Stephen Lamar, when she's using every word, every name, not just the first name. And she's going, and then the phone rings. You know what I mean? I will tell you, yes. <laughs> this is Courtney, so blessed and highly favored. In reality, don't you think sometimes God may think that? Like when we step out of our normal us and we step into the prayer voice, you know what I mean? And he's just sitting in heaven like, really? Really? I just seen the way you were talking. Sorry. Sorry, that's a whole different. 
we, ha- we have to believe that as Abba transforms us into the image of his son, Yahweh, that it won't just be when we are operating in our gift. And it won't just be when we're at church. And it won't just be when we're using our prayer voice. It will be every area of our lives. Every area will become the image, that image of the invisible God. Our calling isn't supposed to be something that we do. It's the fruit of who we are. Uh, I begin to think about this uh, because right now it's tax season, you know, which everybody loves so much. That was total sarcastic. Uh, So everybody's talking about the joys of filling out your taxes and dealing with the IRS because everybody loves the beloved IRS, right? And all this, this is the talk right now. That's what everybody's dealing with. Well, in it, Dad was telling me the other day that he had talked to somebody. I don't know if it was a... uh, Nisha, what are you? CPA. I don't know if it was a CPA or, or what, but he was talking to somebody, and they were talking about how you file your taxes and, and the way he has to do it as a pastor and all that kind of stuff. And the guy asked him, he said, when you go somewhere, do you stop being a pastor? When you decide to go buy chips and salsa for mama right before La Bamba closes every night of the week, <laughs> do you stop being a pastor? Of course not. I don't stop being a pastor because I go to the grocery store. I don't stop being a pastor because I went to a basketball game. And I don't. So, so in reality, in their world, they've realized that who I am doesn't change based on where I'm at. But for some reason in the church, we've deemed our calling, we've restricted our calling to certain places, certain events, certain moments, certain things we're involved in. But of course, dad's answer was no. There's no way I would ever stop being a pastor. Speaking of that, it reminds me of another story. I remember one time mom sent dad probably to get chips and salsa, if I'm just being honest. Uh, but anyway, he was gone for a while, and when he came back, he came back barefooted. Which for a normal family would have probably raised some red flags, and for some reason our family was like, oh, dad came back barefooted. Who knows? But it was because while he was in the community, going about his normal stuff, having to pick up some stuff, having things to get done, needing to get back, he came across somebody that was in a rough time in their life who didn't have shoes on their feet. So him being a pastor, he didn't have to switch from one mode to another. It was obvious that, oh, well, I'll take my shoes off, and you can have mine, and I'll go back home barefooted. Why? Because it doesn't turn off. One place is not where you're a pastor, and one place is not where you're this, and one place you're not that. Every bit of it is secular. I mean, it's sacred. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten that you are the sacred temple? Have you forgotten that you are the gate? You are the access. You are the way he is desiring to get in. Have we forgotten? doesn't matter where we are or what we're doing. We are living our calling. We don't turn it off. But if we deem a place or a situation secular, then we limit our opportunity for Abba to have access to that moment. So in searching for what is our calling, maybe our calling is just to be the gate that gives gives Abba access to whoever and whenever. We might not make it to gathering today, but because I couldn't pass up this opportunity here, I really believe for a lot of people, we've placed our money on the secular side. And when I can only view money, because I don't know if you realize this or not, but money's not of the devil. 
okay? Rich pastors don't mean that they're preaching heresy. Just because they have money doesn't mean that they're wrong. You got this? I, I need you to understand this because you cannot take the word of God and prove that having money is wrong. It's impossible. Okay? You have to understand that, that, that when we begin to see our money as something sacred, then your finances have just created a gate that Abba can have access. So in reality, when we see our money as secular, we rob our finances of the opportunity to have an impact in the kingdom. And your money's doing nothing for God because you don't see it as a gate for God to do something. Man, that's just too real. I pray that we would have the same revelation that Jacob had where he said, Surely the Lord is desiring a gate of entrance into my finances right now. And in that moment, I'll go from sleeping on it to worshiping in it. Man, some of you need to allow God to move into your finances. It's sacred. It's sacred. We tend to be asleep. And just dream about what Abba could do instead of waking up and worshiping, which is being obedient so that we experience what Abba can do. I don't want to live my life just dreaming about what he could do. I want to experience everything that he can do. But to do that, you have to wake up and realize that he is here and this place is awesome. And no matter what place that is, no matter where you're at. It's where he's desiring to have access. He wants you to be the gate on your job. He wants you to be the gate in your family. He wants you to be the gate at the grocery store. He's just looking for access. He's looking for a way in. But every time we choose secular for a situation, a place, or a circumstance, we have locked that gate. We have locked that gate. I'm going to close with this. The last one was gathering. And this one is, there's a lot to this one. We've really deemed when we gather here, we've really considered that the pinnacle of sacred. And I'm not downplaying it. I, I I promote this gathering of the family more than anything. But when we've decided that this is the sacred place, then we've, we've determined everything outside of this as secular. When we begin to treat this building as more sacred than the soul or the person or the human, then we have missed it. Jesus told the, told the Pharisees, don't you know there's one here that's way, way above this building? They were so stressing the importance of their building, their temple, what they've done, what they've created, and said, you miss the one standing in what you built. This is the way I've seen it. I love historical stuff. I love history. I love historical building. I love our downtown just because it's old building. 
And so in reality, I begin to realize that that beautiful historic building right next to the river, the one you know is the watermark, depending on who gathered there, could be just as much of a gate of opportunity as this building we're sitting in this morning. I am not taking shots at this church. That's not my goal. I love the freedom we have in America to build a building like this and to gather in it every single week. But I need you to get into your mind and realize that if some weekend... Mr. Greg allowed me to rent the watermark, and I held a service there that God could show up there just like he's shown up here. That he is not restricted by the box that you are putting on a building. So I've started praying something kind of crazy, and I'm just going to share it with you, and maybe you'll join with me. I, wanna, I want that building. I'm just throwing it out there. I want that one. The one that's called the watermark, I want it. I want it to be mine or to belong to someone here. Maybe someone that has more money than I do. <laughs> and, and I don't know if it's just because it's so awesome and historic, and I don't even know if it's because how awesome would it be to say, you know what it was? Come see what it is. I don't know. I'm just saying this is something I've started, and it's crazy. But, but in doing so, and maybe it's just because I like historical buildings. But I need us to come to the place where we understand that wherever we show up, that's what makes it sacred. It's not because of the place. It's not because of the building. It's not because of its design. Mm, I need to quit. We've created this idea that the building or our calling or discipleship or is somehow different than our everyday life. That it's supposed to be put in a certain category and that we should approach it differently than the other things. When in reality, our everyday normal Christian life should make room for and champion these things. While you're at work, it should champion the image, the likeness. You know what I mean? That, that this place is sacred, that it's a gate, it can, a place we can enter, that he can enter. <laughs> One more comparison, and I promise I'm done this time. Have you ever wondered where we got the term church clothes? That's real, ain't it? You know why that is? <laughs> because we came up with the idea that you need to dress different here than you normally do. And I'm going to tread lightly here, and my goal is not to take shots at nothing. But I need you to get a mental picture that one of the key religious things that Jesus destroyed with the cross was the law that you had to wear a certain thing to enter into the presence of God. <laughs> now, this is one of those areas where you got to let the Holy Ghost be your guide because you can't just show up with it all hanging out and all. We don't need all that. You get what I'm saying? I heard Jermaine say the other day, we was talking about Life Church for something, and he said, you know, we just show up comfortable. I was like, that's right, we do show up comfortable. That's what I'm talking about. But it's understanding that what we did in reality, I, I'm not, you know what I mean, I'm not trying to be harsh here or nothing, but we did. We created two, two identities there that most of you dress on Sunday in a way that you would never dress on Monday through Saturday because you've 
you don't see the idea that that place is sacred just like this place is sacred. And that can go both ways. You know what I'm saying? So we need to understand that. And lastly, I'm going to throw this one out just because I know Benny's back there in the back and he loves me so much. But because this is something me and him have talked about several times. When I'm in the community and I'm at other events and things that I get to be involved in and minister in or uh, minister to somebody in the community, I usually do it wearing a hat because I wear a hat every day of the week except for Sunday morning. <laughs> but see, even throwing that out there has created a, oh, you're not wearing a hat in here when you preach. And I'm not taking shots out, and I said that at Benny because he knows I love him so much. But I'm just trying to get you to begin to process in your mind how we have separated things so far. And because of separating them so much, we're living two different lives. We have a secular part of our life and a sacred part of our life. And he said, have you forgotten that you are sacred? So wherever you go has to become sacred. And whatever you do has to be sacred. And wherever you are, whoever you're talking about or talking to and whoever you're involved with, you are the sacred gate that God is trying to access them through. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you that you are bringing to our understanding, you're bringing a revelation that we are the sacred temple. And wherever we are and whatever we're doing, your desire is to create that sacred place that you could have access to, that you could have an entrance into. You're wanting to, to, to enter into our communities. You want access to our jobs. You want access to the grocery store. You want access to wherever we are and whatever we're doing. So, Father, I pray that we begin to tear down the old mindset that part of me is sacred and part of me is secular and we begin to live from a place that I am sacred. I am the sacred temple for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God that wherever I go becomes the place where Jacob said this place is awesome. This is none other than the house of God. A place that you are desiring to have access into. Father we thank you for it so much. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.